magic to it. When I'm at Ramah, I am home. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Ramah, of the Colbert Ramah podcast. My name is Alan Imar, and I'm a counselor and former camper at Camper Mind, Wisconsin, here with Rabbi Josh Warshawski. Um, so for th- those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you or uh, know your work, Josh, will you tell me a little bit about what you do and a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me, Alan. Um my name is uh, Josh Roshowski. Uh, I was ordained from the Ziegler Rabbinical School about a little over a year ago. Um, and I, for the last five or six years, have been traveling around the country to communities, synagogues, day schools all over the North America and a little bit of the world, um, sharing music and tefillah, helping to build intentional prayer communities um, with a lot of my own melodies. I, I write a lot of melodies for Jewish music, and so I'm uh, just hoping to help people access all of the amazing uh, texts and wisdom of our tradition. Awesome. Um, so in doing my research for this podcast, I came across an 11-year-old video of you on YouTube um, <laughs> entitled Josh Warshawski doing the August Rush thing, um, <laughs> filmed by Ari Vandersloos um, in Cabin 7 at Campermine, Wisconsin, in Conover. So I wanted to ask, how did you get from slapping your guitar in Cabin 7, which I actually haven't known you to ever do or treat your guitar like that, um, to being one of the faces of Jewish music today? <laughs> well, I totally forgot about that video. That was my uh, my first summer as a counselor at Ramon, Wisconsin, and uh, I thought it would be something fun. I w- my campers were being very rowdy, and I thought I would I'd do something fun for a Yishun, um, which is what we at Camp Ramon, Wisconsin call putting everyone to sleep, like Hargaah or Hashkabah. Everybody's got different words. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to do that August Rush thing where you hit the guitar in, in cool ways, and it makes this nice percussion rhythm sound. Um, and uh, that was sort of that was before I even thought about uh, what this journey might look like for me. I was still in college, and actually, r- the, right after that summer, um, you know, JTS. I was at JTS for an undergrad in List College, and they send out uh, different job opportunities in the area. And a synagogue in South Orange, New Jersey, was looking for a, a music teacher for their Hebrew school. So uh, yeah, I see you nodding. Alan knows the synagogue because now Alan works there, <laughs> and uh, and I thought I said I could probably do that. I went to Jewish summer camp and I play guitar, and so I started being the music teacher there, and I really loved getting to to do tefillah with the kids and and help them out and and work with them and all this different music. And um, at that point in my my life, my music repertoire was I knew a lot of like holiday music and like Israeli songs from day school and like Debbie Friedman and like 
Craig Taubman and Shlomo Kralbach and Rick Recht. And uh, I didn't know that there was so much Jewish music out there, so I started uh, I started writing my own Jewish music. And uh, it sort of went from there. I, I realized that music was a, a, a music had always been a passion for me, but that it was a really powerful pathway to help inspire people uh, and, and guide people's lives and guide my own life. So I, I kept doing it, and that led me uh, on this on this journey. So I know while you were in college, you wrote arguably one of your most popular songs, Marabu. Um, and I wanted to know if you could tell me a little bit of how that song came to be what it is today and and how you came up with it and what the story of Marabu as we know it is. The journey of Marabu. <laughs> um, yeah, that that uh, that all was also a surprise. It sort of happened in... Uh, I. I I was finishing up college at, at List College, and I had applied to rabbinical school and at JTS, and I was enrolled to go, but I didn't want to go straight from uh, undergrad to rabbinical school. I felt like nine years in a row at JTS was going to be a really long time, so I wanted to take a year or two off, uh, and I had already gotten a job at a bunch of different places in New York doing music and teaching, um, but then a synagogue in Los Angeles reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to be our artist in residence for a year? You come out to LA for a year, and then you can go back to New York after that, and I said, I'd never been to California before, and I thought that would be a really fun way to spend the year. So I was going out for an interview to try out at the school, and I thought, you know, I, I should probably have a, a fun song that I can teach the kids there. They had a K-8 day school at the synagogue also. And so I'm in the, on the subway in New York on the one line on my way to Hebrew school. I was also teaching it at BJ in Manhattan at the time. And I was on the way down to BJ, and I was trying to figure out a fun call-and-response song that I could sing with kids, and I'd always uh, liked these words, Mara Asecha, ever since I was a camper at my Wisconsin, when my counselor, um, Jar, Jonathan Adam Ross, used to shout them out during tefillah. Because he said those words are an exclamation, right? They, they have to be sung with an exclamation part. It's, point. It's, wow, how amazing, how diverse are all of God's creations, each one created in wisdom. So I have this voice memo where I'm sort of singing to myself on the subway, just like, Marabu, and people are staring at me, and uh, I, I wrote that whole song on the subway in that 15-minute ride, and then I jumped out at BJ, and I said to the, the director of the Hebrew school, I said, I, I'm going to try something new during Tefillah today. We'll see how it goes. And that was the first time I ever played Marabu. And uh, I, then I went and taught it at the school. And then later that year, I was at a, a Jewish music conference called Havana Shira, which means at a, a camp in, in, in Wisconsin, Azrui, before the summer starts. And all the different summer camps get to um, teach and, and lead song sessions for all the 350 participants. And so the Ramah Collective, we had five or six of us from Ramah, and we got to lead a song session for everybody. And I decided I would try and teach them Marabu. And uh, people, I guess people really liked it. So it sort of took off and went out to a whole bunch of different summer camps that summer. And uh, and now I hear it in really random places all over the place, which is really nice. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of random places, um, in conversation with other Jewish musicians, there is sometimes a moment where you see a, your song pop up on Facebook um, or, or someone doing a cover of it, whatever it may be. Do you remember... Or do you have one of those moments that stuck out to you that you're like, wow, I didn't even know this person knew this song, or I don't even know who this person is, yet they're singing my song? Do one of those moments kind of stick out to you? Yeah, I guess the, the biggest one with Marabu was um, there happened to be somebody from from England, her name was Cantor Zoe Jacobs, at the Havanashira conference, and she brought Marabu back across the pond, and they sang it at all of the reform movement camps in England that summer. And then I got invited to teach at Limud UK, um, 
which which just because of Marabu, they're like this song's great, and they brought me over. I felt, in my opinion, it was way way before my my prime. <laughs> so all I had was like Marabu and a couple other songs, and uh, and I went to England and like taught at this conference, all because they somehow they started singing Marabu over there. Um, so that was a little crazy, but it was really fun. <laughs> wow! I was there at the conference with there was this other band who was sort of just up and coming at the time, and they were like one of the headliner bands. There, uh, it's a band called Zusha. Who are no longer up and coming <laughs> they have they have yeah <laughs> but we got to sing together and that was that was fun so if anything that was your peak when you opened for zusha that's right yeah when i got this play right my i played a bunch of songs right before zusha went on and shlomo in zusha told me that he really liked one of them so that was a good time <laughs> <laughs> very nice um so i'm sure your taste in jewish music has evolved since you first started um your early compositions like Marabu or Manish Tana have a very Jonas Brothers-esque <laughs> feel to them. Um, but your most recent ones have kind of departed from that. A few hours ago, I saw a new video um, that that you and a friend of yours put out for Zamru Ya. Um, and that surely has a more Sephardic, Middle Eastern, maybe Moroccan feel to it. So can you tell me a little bit more about how your taste has changed from Marabu to now? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I've never been compared to the Jonah brother, Jonas Brothers before, but <laughs> I guess that's a, a <laughs> compliment. <laughs> but um, uh, my music is definitely changing. In the beginning, I didn't really even know what I wanted my sound to be. Um, and I went and recorded an that first album in college, and uh, I didn't even have the language to describe what it was that I wanted it to sound like. And so over the course of my you know, musical journey, I've gotten a lot more tools to be able to describe what, what I wanted the music to sound like and what I wanted the experience to be. And the the most recent album, the Chavirai Navarech, um, we recorded the whole album live with nine other musicians in an amazing sanctuary space uh, called the Pico Union Project in Los Angeles. And uh, the idea was because the whole point of the music that we'd been sharing and, and what I had decided was my mission was bringing people together to sing. And the energy that you find in a room when you're able to gather together with a bunch of people, it, it, it's tangible. You can feel the music sort of hovering in the air. And I wanted to be able to capture that in, in a live recording. I didn't want to do it in a studio where we were sort of spread out in a variety of different spaces. I wanted us to be able to see each other and, and feel each other's energy and build off of that energy. And um, and so, yeah, I was inspired by a, a lot of different people in that in that process. There's a whole bunch of uh, amazing, both secular and Jewish li live albums that I really love. Um, Death Cab for Cutie is another band that I really love and they had a bunch of really great live tracks joey weisenberg put out a, um, some really beautiful live music and when i was in college i would go to the the choir loft on the, at the kane street synagogue and, and listen to him sing and be a part of some of those jams um and so you know i i felt like i wanted to just gather a bunch of musicians and, and, and share that experience so some of the melodies have, have changed a little bit that marabu came out like a sort of like a rock album and all the rest of it is more like focusing on maybe like a, a verse or two and using that as a mantra and sort of expressing that over and over again and letting the music take you to new heights without shifting so much in the in the lyrics themselves so i think that's sort of more the direction that i've uh, i've been going lately wow well so the chavrein of album i think out of out of yours is special because it has like so many artists coming together um and singing your music can you tell me what it's like uh to be able to look back at the trajectory of your career so far and be able to say, you know, my music has touched at least this many people that are coming to sing with me on my album and even more that are listening behind screens. What What is it like to look back on, on your career so far and see, see everything you've done? 
it's been a it's been a really a really cool journey. Every step of the way, I couldn't have predicted what the next step was going to be. Um, you know, the first step of just sharing the music and and going to a whole bunch of different conferences and meeting all these amazing people, and and then you know deciding to take that journey onto into the Rabinet. And then when I was in the Rabinet, a synagogue reached out to me and said, "Hey, do you do artists in residence weekends?" And I said yes, and that's sort of how that all started. My first year in rabbinical school, just traveling around, and and everything was just sort of an opportunity presented itself, and and I just said yes and went with it, and saw and sought out where that would take me. Um, but it wouldn't have been possible without the amazing, amazing talents and skills and, and friendships of all these all these wonderful people. The whole point was that I wanted to gather all these incredible musicians who were so, so talented and, and, and really bring them together. And I think I think it shows. But and we wanted to capture that both in audio and vis- video. And when you watch the videos, you can you can see the, the energy and the love in the space. And, and I think that people really they're attracted to that. And, and that's why I think that the videos have gotten a lot of views, thankfully, and, and people are sharing them all over the place. And it's sort of become a really nice calling card to be able to, to send out to different communities and say, this is the kind of experience that that I hope to create when I come to be with you. Also, this isn't just something that's supposed to live in that room. It's something that's supposed to be able to to come alive wherever we happen to be creating music. I think, and maybe you'll agree, you'll agree that to have music that can touch so many and that can inspire this real moment of transcendence, you yourself have to have um, like a deep well of inspiration that you can draw from. Maybe you might be able to speak a little bit more to what that well, what that looks like, um, where you get your inspiration. Yeah. Um... I've been really, really lucky to um, have had a lot of really wonderful opportunities for for being steeped in Jewish learning um, and Jewish communities. I went, I grew up in the Chicago area and I went to Salman Schechter and, and Camp Ramah and I was really involved in USY and, and then I, I spent a lot of time in, in places of learning and in different Jewish communities and and the more that you allow yourself to to be open to different texts and traditions, the more that you can be in, become inspired by them. And so the more that I open up the sea door and, and, and am empowered to, to open up and, and look at it, the, the more the words affect me in totally different ways. Even, even now when we're sort of in this period where um, we're in our homes a lot uh, and not able to be gathering together, but I, you know, I'm doing these Zoom services with communities all over the place and seeing the words in a totally different light than I, than I would originally have, have read them in. Um, and that's that's only you're able only able to do that if you give yourself the opportunity to look at the words uh, and you give yourself an opportunity to be open to, to new text and, and new ideas. Uh, and if you don't put yourself in those uh, in those situations or, or those uh, particular you make the, you make those choices, then you're not able to to uh, to deepen your own learning. So I've sort of I've tried to take advantage of of every opportunity I can to to be opened up to, to new voices and new traditions. And and, you know, you said that melody, the Zamriya has sort of a Mizrahi tradition to it and that's because the I wrote it with my friend cantor Jackie Rafi who's Persian and so we tried to think about how we could how we could embrace a lot of that tradition in, in the music that we were creating and, and try and do something that would be geared towards towards that tradition um, and I think it I think it showed in the in the melody too Wow so looking for different types of music and being exposed to that and also different texts I see are definitely part of your process um, can you take me through a little bit about the process of composing the works that that you have out there sure um maybe we'll focus on one of the ones that i was that i was going to play um it's sure. a melody for for yedi nefesh um and yedi nefesh was one of those prayers that i well so 
to just to take a step back first, I guess I have like on my phone uh, a, a note of all these different texts that I want to write melodies for eventually. Let I'll, I'll come across a new a new text and I'll just you know put a note down there. And then I also have a whole bunch of voice memos of just these random melodies that I'll just pop into my head one day. Uh, and so sometimes I'll put them together, and sometimes I'll just sit down and say I, I just need something totally new. Um, but with, with Yeti Nefesh, it was a, a a prayer that I had grown up singing for forever in those there's these two melodies right that y'all you know it was either or it was um and those were the only two and if we tried to sing something else somebody tried to sing something else for did fish like it didn't feel like it was it, it wasn't like a real service like you had to you felt like you had to go home when you hadn't really done anything um and so it was a text that I had I had not wanted to touch for a very long time, even though it was one that was really meaningful for me. Uh, and then I spent a year in in Israel studying with uh, and playing with a group called Navatila, a bunch of amazing musicians and rabbis and teachers. And um, they have like ten or fifteen different melodies for every psalm in Kabbalat Shabbat. And I was like, wow, what does it mean to have all these different melodies that you can approach this text in totally different ways? And this melody expresses the text this way. And this one expresses the text with a totally different emotion. And my goal always in writing melodies is how can the, the melody help to better express what the words are already trying to say? Um, if you have a melody that's sort of like really fun and upbeat, but the words are not related to that, it, that doesn't really, there's like cognitive dissonance there. Um, and these words for, for Yedid Nefesh are this like deep, amazing, beautiful love poem. Hadur na'ez ziv ha'olam, O glorious radiant spark of the universe, nafshi cholat avatech. My soul is sick with longing for you. Like beautiful, beautiful poetry. And it's like the first thing that we say when we walk into the sanctuary on Friday night, when like no one is ready to sing beautiful poetry. You've just had a really long day. You had a really long week and Shabbos is about to start, but you're not like in the Shabbos mode yet. That's what Kabbalah Shabbat is for. So how can we say these words that are dripping with love and emotion when we're not feeling that in our heads and in our hearts? So the melody that I wrote has this nigun that sort of swirls around over and over again with the idea that if we can sing this and sort of prepare ourselves, then we can enter into the words with a, a newfound uh, mindset and that that'll sort of bring us into Shabbat in a, in a way that feels more like Shabbat. Um, so I try and think a lot about, you know, what the words are saying and how I can use the melody to, to deepen that feeling and help people, even if they don't understand what the words are saying, help people sort of feel that emotion anyway. Wow. So Yedid Nefesh, um, your version has a, both a nigun and a tune to the words, which came first and how, how, how did both come to you? The, uh, this was one where I was sort of I just playing out playing a guitar for a long time. I I don't have a standard writing process, so sometimes the words come first, and sometimes the the melodies come first. Sometimes I've chosen the words already. And this one, it was just this melody sort of started swirling around over and over again. And then uh, I had both the nigun melody and I had the melody for the words, and I was sort of singing it over and over again and trying to decide what it was. And to me, it felt like a love song. It felt like it was something that was supposed to be uh, lifting up and connecting. And I, the first one that popped into my head happened to be these words, Yedid Nefesh, and, and what would it feel like if I tried to, to, to unite them, to put them together? And so I tried. Wow. Um, that, 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 that's so powerful. Um, well, I want to turn to other parts of your life that aren't just Ramah um, and, and singing for you. Um, so I, I Googled you a lot in preparation for this. So another video that popped up um, was this 
song that you sang for a commemoration event for Roz Epstein, Zichronali Racha, the music teacher at at the middle school and elementary school that we share, uh, Solomon Schechter. Um, and you also mentioned before USY, and I know that Vehafta, another one of your of your hit songs, um, was written at a USY international convention. Can you speak a little bit more to the impact that not only Ramah, but all these other sources of Jewish community and, and inspiration have had on you? Yeah, I feel, I feel incredibly indebted to uh, all the institutions that raised me. I, I really feel like I was raised by both my, my incredible Jewish family and, and Jewish community, but also by all these amazing institutions. And, you know, I could go through and list each one of them and tell you all the things that a few of the things that I think that I, I learned or got from any of those places. A lot of the the texts that I that I wrote melodies for recently came in, in classes in rabbinical school or in, in at the conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem. Um, all A lot of my like foundational Jewish experiences happened in USY conventions and at Camp Ramah. Um, but my, my love for, for singing definitely began at, at Solomon Schechter with Raz. And I remember being in the choir with her and, and singing all these beautiful melodies. And, and even those, like those experiences from when I was a kid, they shaped me for a very long time. When I was nine years old, I was in, I was in fourth grade in the choir and this Jewish musician, Sam Glazer came to do his like kids musical Kol Bamidbar at Schechter. And we got to sing the whole CD with him. It was amazing. And then I met Sam like 15 years later at, a, at the Reform Movement Biennial Convention in Los Angeles or in San Diego. And I introduced myself and said, I sang with him when I was young. And he said, do you remember any of the words? And I was like, yeah, I sing Uvene Yerushalayim all the time. He said, great, come up on stage and sing it with me right now. And I sang with him and then we got to talking and he, I told him that I write Jewish music. He said, you should come over sometime and, and, and we'll just play in my studio. And it ended up in the studio was 10 minutes from my house in LA and I recorded the Marabu album in Sam's studio wow. and Sam produced it. And that was a connection that just happened because I sang his music when I was a kid at Schechter and I was just introduced to, to that experience. And, and so, you know, all these different, um, experiences and memories that I've had at, at so many different beautiful institutions have definitely led piece by piece to, to where I am today. Wow. Um, so it really seems like this whole Jewish journey that you had, Ramah, USY, Schechter, um, it all culminates really in your ordination as a rabbi. Um, and we just passed the first anniversary, anniversary, like you said before, of your ordination as a rabbi. And I wanted to know if you could reflect a little on your career in the rabbinate so far and, and what it's been like. Uh, it's, well, it's certainly been an, an interesting year. Um, you know, when I was finishing up rabbinical school, I was trying to figure out what direction I wanted to take my rabbinate. And should I apply for any of the, the really wonderful uh, rabbinic positions there were at, at different synagogues and day schools all over the country? And, and I, I, you know, I put my resume in the search process and got ready and prepared and everything to do a really good job of preparing you at the Ziegler School. Um, and I, uh, at some point, I had, I had been traveling that whole year full time. Um, as sort of my rabbinic internship was uh, I, for a year, I was at a synagogue in Los Angeles. And then the second year, the dean, Rabbi Artson, said that I could make my internship traveling to different communities because I was I was talking about how I was really interested in seeing what it could look like to make a career out of that. And, uh, and he said, you want to make that your internship? I said, can we do that? And he said, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing that. And so while I was finishing up rabbinical school full time, I was I was already doing this work that I'd been begun a, a few years before that. And um, it was 
amazing going around to synagogues and communities all over the country and getting to, to share in this work and, and see what Jewish life looks like all over the country. My first couple of weekends that year in rabbinical school were in Omaha, Nebraska, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, before going over to uh, like Cherry Hill, New Jersey and Dallas, Texas and all over the place. And and I it was fascinating to see and experience these Jewish communities and see that they were all really hungry for a lot of the same things, for connection, for community, for someone to help inspire them and to understand where all this stuff has come from. And I realized that that was something that I really wanted to keep doing. And that um, being a sort of a itinerant traveling minstrel rabbi could be a really wonderful way to, to connect with people and impact people. Um, and so for the for the first half of this year, that was a, that was what I did. It was a really amazing year traveling to communities all over the country. Um, it's like 15 day schools, the 20 to 20 different synagogues and, and um, really got to know a whole bunch of people and share a lot of the music play with my band and it was really wonderful and um you know when when march hit and we were all uh, stuck back inside a lot of that that was put on pause um but it's been fascinating sort of uh transitioning to what it looks like to virtually connect with communities and and even even from my home i've been able to travel to to baltimore maryland and los angeles and all over the place vancouver canada and and virtually connect with communities and and um this is a need that people, I think, are, are, are still hungry for. They're hungry for meaning and connection. And I think that Judaism has a lot to offer in that regard. And so it, it's been a real honor to, to have my rabbinic journey be to, to provide that for people. Uh, and it's definitely something that I'm hoping that I can continue to do uh, far into the future. Beautiful. Um, so before we, we end the podcast, I wanted to do a lightning round with you. Um, just a few short questions. Um, so you ready? Let's do it. I'm not good at these. All right. Movies, so, <laughs> what is your favorite Mishmar song to sing before Shabbat at camp on Thursday night? The Keter Malucha. Okay. Um, your or favorite camp bone, food? That's like biased. <laughs> what, 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 your own yari bone or another yari bone? <laughs> yeah, mine. Or I like the other, the yari bone. Oh yeah. God, that one's nice too. That's Ari Goldbugs. Yeah. 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 Um, Favorite camp food? Oh, um, bagel dogs, but they're zichron am livracha. They don't do that anymore. When I was a kid, they had bagel dogs. Wow. Uh, were they hot dogs in a bagel? They were like like mini hot dogs in like a, in like corn dog form. They were gotcha. Really good. Yeah, and now I would yeah. say the, the chicken wing meal. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, your go-to Shira song? Uh, it's Ve'ahavta. <laughs> or if I had to pick something that wasn't mine, Ojevo Shalom. <laughs> Very nice. Um, your favorite spot at camp? Um, I really, I mean, I, the point is like, uh, I feel like that's like an answer that everybody would give, but that was what first came to mind. There's like a really nice new bench there where you can like see and be out see all the sunset. I like that spot or the key card just because that's where people gather. Very nice. How about your favorite spot at a camp that isn't your home camp of Wisconsin? Oh, yeah. Well, I have. I think I have a favorite spot at every camp. I did a really wonderful, like the the lights, the the whole power went out at my Poconos one summer or one evening, and I was with uh, the Gesher campers, and we were over on the Migrash Banim, just like sitting under the stars and 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 playing guitar and, and singing, and that was that was really cool. I loved that. I really like the Ampitatron at Berkshires. Um, and the one, at, I think it's called the key car, but it's also like an like a circular amphitheater at, at Ojai. That one's really great too. Yeah. 
such great places. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, so uh, uh, on the same vein of Yari Bone and Vehafta, what's the favorites? What, what's your favorite song that you've composed? Vani Asher Zecha. Ah, why? Was that lightning round? If you have to say why. Yeah, I'm Um, just curious now. uh, I wrote it right after I finished and put out the Marabu album. And after I wrote it, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best song I've ever written. And I just recorded an album and I'll never write another song. Like, when am I going to record another album? It's going to be like four more years before I can share with the world. And I was very sad. But it was a song that that totally changed the trajectory of my songwriting, right? You know, the Marabu was like this rock album and Vani Asher Zecha was this like contemplative, beautiful piece that paved the way for, for everything else. And it was like a, it was like a, a marker in, uh, in the direction of my journey that I will be forever grateful for. And I just, I love that song. I have really um, like amazing memories of singing it and I can like place myself in different places, like singing it at different times with different people. And it's always been really powerful. Very powerful. Back to the lightning round. Um, in the whole corpus of Jewish literature, can you name a favorite text? The whole corpus of Jewish literature. Um, this might be a cliche answer, but I, I really love, I think that there's a lot of power and potential in the Sidor if we look at it correctly, not correctly, if we look at it with open eyes um, and place ourselves in the words, I think that there's a lot of power in what the Sidor has to offer. And then um, that that would be the big one. But also there's like really powerful Hasidic teachings that I've been inspired by lately. But they have to I like pick and choose different rabbis at different times. I love the Nativo Shalom in general. Um, it's got some really good stuff. Very nice. Um, so before we end the podcast, would you mind playing a song for us sure i i talked about yiddy nefesh like i was going to play it but you asked for you for emmet so should we do that one instead yeah we started with that so it would be uh it would be nice to close with it too okay let's do it um i i mentioned that most of the time when i share this song it's uh this song is based on a, a piece of artwork i'd never written a song based on uh a work of art before and uh it was a a, a portrait that i would walk past um every day on my way to, to classes at the conservative yeshiva when i was living in israel and um the painting let me just describe what the painting looks like really quickly it's a it's a vertical painting and there's two sides um there's a cavern like a, a a chasm in the middle um with two cliffs and on the right side of the painting it's very bright it's uh sorry it's very dark and there's like a dark gnarled tree with these bony branches there's like a black crow flying above um there's a and uh, on the other side of the painting, it's bright and there's this beautiful flowering tree and there's a dove in the in the sky. And um, and across the, the chasm, there's there's a bridge that's supposed to have three bricks in it. And on the right brick, there's the letter Aleph. And on the left brick, there's the letter Taf. And the middle brick is missing. But on the right side of the painting, there's an old man wrapped in a talit carrying the letter Mem. And uh, I thought about this painting every day on my way to school. And one day I went and I asked the artist, what was he trying to say? Uh, And uh, I I thought that the painting was about um, 
you know, humanity's role in bringing truth into the world, that we have to be the ones that are going to uphold truth, that are going to stand up for truth. Uh, and he said, no, it's about Olam Haba. It's about the next world. It's about the next world is very bright and only, only the truth can reach the next world. And I was like, no, it's about this world. And uh, we got in a fight and then I bought the painting because then once you have the art, then you could sort of, you know, give your own drash of, of what it means. So now I have the painting also. Um, and uh, now I get to sing this song. And this word's Emet Atar Rishon, uh, truth you are first, Emet Atar Rishon, truth you are last. Uh, without you, we have, we have nothing. What does it mean for us to, to hold on to truth? But also that it can be talking about you, Emet Atahu Rishon, in truth, you are first. And Emet Atahu in truth, you are last. That there are times when you have to hold up your own truth and put yourself in the forefront. But more often than not, there's there's times when we have to put other people's truths forward and we have to help push forth truths of other people that can't do it on their own that we have to uphold what it means to be acharon to take yourself out of the light and focus it on others as well um so that's what this this melody is all about it goes like this Rabbi Josh Warshawski, thank you so much for for speaking and for dedicating your time and for giving us so much to hope um, and to be inspired from. Thanks so much, Alan. Thanks for having me. Shalom, and thank you for tuning in to Kol Barama. If you're looking for more information about Camp Ramah overnight and day camps, Israel programs, year-round events, and virtual offerings, please visit our website at www.campramah.org. Mm-hmm.